Welcome to episode two of Matt O'Donnell Wants to Know, a podcast to feed our curious minds. I'm Matt O'Donnell, and I want to know who you are. I want to know what you do. I want to know why U.S. currency doesn't get shredded when you put it in the wash, but if you rip it with your hands, it sure will. I want to know what matters to you and why. I've spent the past 15 years as a professional bass player. That means I've covered a lot of miles and talked with a lot of people. I've found that the person deeply interested in a topic is often more interesting than the topic itself, and the bigger picture is found in the details. What a fantastic excuse to share conversations with people I think are great. My guests today will be Davey Ball and Demi Chacon of Now and Then, which is a 12-seat elevated coffee and tea experience that's located inside Bar Continental in downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Before I say a little bit more about that, I just um, want to say a very simple thank you for all the positive response to uh, episode one of the podcast. I couldn't have imagined that that would have gone better. Uh, so many of you listened to it, and uh, that is really striking to me. I could go on forever about my thankfulness, but seriously, I just want you to know that you're appreciated. If you know me at all, you know that one of the tentpole passions of my life is coffee. There are few things that take up more space in my life, more time in my life, um, and just feel better to me than any kind of cup of coffee. That really goes back as far as being able to remember my mom putting like a couple of teaspoons of coffee in milk for me at night as sort of like a dessert kind of thing because my parents would be having coffee. Then I can fast forward to thinking about the first gigs I ever played, which were in the corner of a coffee bar where I was playing solo bass in exchange for a few bucks of tip money and free coffee. When I was in college, my friends would have thought there was something wrong with me, like a serious illness or crisis in my life if I weren't carrying a cup of coffee. It became around then like a really distinctive feature of knowing me. When I moved to Nashville, that was right around the time that the specialty coffee bar was becoming a real thing. That is the kind of place that the average person might think of as being somewhere where you're going to get latte art on the top of your cappuccino. It's so much more than that, though. Those are the kind of places that are paying a lot of attention to where the coffee comes from, whether it be you know, anything from what country to what region of the country or having a relationship with a specific farmer. Um, a lot of times those places are roasting their own coffee and you're going to hear a lot of talk about what the tasting notes are like for, you know, whatever that's worth to you. For about the past six or seven years, though, I've been really into trying to replicate that experience at home. I own 
so much coffee equipment now, uh, so much uh, hand pour coffee equipment. And not only am I trying to just recreate the coffee experience of a place like that in my own home, but there's something that is a very ritualistic thing about it. Doing manual coffee pouring um, feels great to me. It helps center me. It helps give me just good feelings, uh, that dopamine rush that we're all looking for. In a lot of cases, I am uh, definitely now my friend's excessive coffee friend. Uh, if you listen to episode one of this podcast with uh, Dave Jacqueline, he mentions being on the road on a tour bus and uh, having friends who could make great coffee. And uh, he was, in fact, talking about me. With that level of focus on coffee in my everyday life, you can only imagine how exciting it was for me to hear that Sean Brock, a chef here in Nashville, announced that he was going to be partnering with a couple who were going to do an elevated coffee experience inside one of his restaurants. That turned out to be Davey and Demi, who you'll hear me talk to in just a second here. Um, I was there on the opening day of their shop. I walked in and could not contain my excitement and wanted to talk about the things I knew. Um, my experience with coffee at this level kind of definitely goes through phases. I will be desperately into it, and then I never get away from it, but I feel like it's just a normal part of my day, that there's nothing special about it. And uh, when I met them, I really felt like the next level for me was there. I felt like I was experiencing it again almost for the first time. I even bought the pour-over brewer that they were using from England because there was no stock of it basically anywhere in the world. That was the one cafe I could find that brewer at. And so I ordered it and, you know, definitely overpaid for it to get to my house. That's the kind of thing that they did to me. Along the way, I found that Davey and Demi are just great human beings and I've gotten to know them pretty well and they're just definitely my kind of people. And so when I was thinking about who was going to be on this podcast, the kind of guest that I wanted to have, it was a no-brainer that they were going to be on that list. In the chat we had, you're going to get to hear about uh, not only what Now and Then is, how it operates, what their vision for it is, but how they built it, how they got into working in specialty coffee themselves and then had this idea and grew it into what it is now. This is definitely a very special, exciting, and thought-provoking conversation about coffee and life. So without further ado, I take you to that chat now with Davy Ball and Demi Chacon of Now and Then. Um, <laughs> this mood is light enough already. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which one of you is now and which one of you is then? The amount of times we've gotten this question is... Uh, no, but oh, the really? amount of times we've made the joke, too. Uh, maybe I hate this now because I'm unoriginal. No, no, no. I don't know why no, I no, thought no, no, that no, no. it would be no, original. No, it's not, it's not like a ton of people. It's not like every other person. It's just been like a few people here and there. I don't know, man. 
How how deep do we want to take this? Let's go deep. It's why not? Yeah, whatever. How much time do we have? I'm probably now because I'm more impulsive. Uh huh. Actually, yeah, no, you're right. I don't think I've actually really thought about the answer to this, but you're absolutely right. Davy is pretty impulsive. I do right. stew on things for a long time too, though. It just depends on what it is. No, absolutely. I think like I you understand present that. as just being now, though, because you're stewing and it's all internal. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because what happens is like like coffee menu buying for example like i stewed on which roasters i was interested in and then when i made my mind up i just kind of pulled the trigger and like really quickly moved i have anxiety so maybe i'm then like (laughs) i worry i worry a lot (laughs) about things that aren't real i guess that is how uh (laughs) you know listen i'm married to someone with that exact same problem and so don't bring amanda into this she's beautiful and amazing (laughs) I agree. She also has anxiety and, you know, imagines things like the Christmas tree not being turned off at night and burning our house down. Oh, my God. No. Um, so. I'm not going to lie to you. And sometimes I have that same thought and I get really stressed out. Of the out. Christmas tree? I also get really, yeah. And then I get really stressed out off. about our cats eating the Christmas tree. They do. I've seen them do it. And uh, They do it for attention. That's what cats do. Yeah. yeah. Well, when we're not home, I'm like, what if you? It's a Christmas tree. Yeah, I don't know if they answered your question. That's fine. I don't I don't know that I was looking for a real answer. So lobby pitch what now and then is as like a coffee experience. Who starts? You I can start. Wanna, I don't want to interrupt each other. You can start, David. <laughs> I'll, I'll allow you to start. Um, I can say something and then we'll like flush it out from there. How about that? I guess the question that I'm really trying to like get to is i want you to explain now and then in its like uniqueness versus say the average high-end coffee shop okay i got this uh i would say well okay now and then is a 12 seat elevated coffee and tea program that is in a hi-fi bar it is the mix of a japanese jazz kisa which is basically just a listening bar um where they typically do cocktails uh but instead of cocktails we do competition grade coffees uh, or just unique coffees that you don't typically see every day and with a more precise execution, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I think that I think, <laughs> I think that, that hits the nail on the head. The I think one of our dis- most distinguishing things is uh, the service style. It's a lot more hands on. We're just having more conversations and that's kind of like the center of it all. Uh, conversations yeah. and just being present and connecting. Coffee's cool, and you know we like we love coffee. Sure, and, you know, yeah. uh, I would go that far. I love coffee. <laughs> I hate coffee <laughs> sometimes. Uh, Could you imagine? It's a cruel mistress. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, uh, yeah. I think just the service style is the number one thing that hmm. is just we're presenting it in a different way entirely. Okay, so what do you envision the customer experience being like? Um, I think that. <laughs> We just talk to our customers a lot more. Um, we're actually having conversations about coffee. Um, I I try my best to make it um, as much of a safe space as possible where um, I know that people are going to come in. And if you're not a coffee person, a lot, a lot of those words on the menu are going to be foreign to you. Sure. So I make it clear you're a coffee person. But like, yeah. you know, a lot of those things are going to be like, holy shit, I've never seen these words before. Uh, and so I try to make it very clear that like, you can ask questions. We can talk about it. And then, yeah, it pretty much like we're just having conversations. 
Um, and also your water stays fill, filled, hopefully. Yeah. No one's fill it. Unless it's really busy. <laughs> Unless it's really busy, in which case, bear with me. <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> Fair. Understood. As a customer, what was your experience? Yeah. As a customer, Matt, why don't you tell well, me? Well, that's this what I was about to say. Here, well, I mean, <laughs> these are conversations, not interviews. Um, you know, I... It's interesting because most days still, like, I've been using the word consumables a lot lately, you know, because I've been into dining for 21 years or so. I would say like 21 years ago is around the first time I went to like a great restaurant. Mm -hmm. And by great restaurant, I actually mean Anthony Bourdain's place in New York. Like, I was on a choir trip in the 10th grade and we had like the afternoon off, which is crazy to think about now, like some, especially as we prepare to be parents and things and I think about stuff and not to like old man it about it but I'm like we were sophomores in high school and they were just like okay now we've seen Phantom of the Opera as the educational part of this field trip now just wander around Midtown as sophomores (laughs) and that was totally an available thing in 2001 like side note uh, because I know you guys don't know this my parents owned a restaurant when I was younger so I've always been really into that. And even before they did, my dad was like the dining room manager of like a nice ish place in mm-hmm. our like small town. Oh, and so like a true tourist food has always been a major theme in your yeah, life. That's right. That is <laughs> that is true. Um, this podcast is actually just going to be me trying to convince uh, Matt that astrology is real. <laughs> Keep that on the record. I don't, <laughs> I don't know that I think that astrology isn't real. OK, fair. That's a great place to start then. (laughs) (laughs) Someone gifted me Kitchen Confidential like when it had come out because I had read the original article in, I think it was the original article was in the New Yorker. And then I was like, oh, so I snuck off on the subway on this field trip to go down to Leal and ate steak frites. That's fucking insane. Yeah. But also- Who gave you the money to do that? Was it on the dime of the school? No, I had that money. That was my money. You were in the tenth grade. Yeah, but I only spent probably like fifty-five bucks. Fair. Because for I some had... reason I thought it was going to be like much more than. That. No, that's that's just like you know non-Michelin food, like just a good French bistro. Yeah. Um, I think I got, if I remember correctly, I got escargot and then steak frites. Damn. But we had escargot. Damn, what were you? Fifteen? Sixteen? Yeah. yeah, like fifteen. That's huh. crazy. Um. We had escargot on the menu at my parents' place. Oh, okay. And so I was like... So you were like, been there, done that. Yeah, I mean, that wasn't a weird thing to me. We didn't have a ton of weird... That was probably the only thing Mm -hmm. that... I mean, probably nobody ordered it in hindsight. You also (laughs) said it was 2001. I mean, it's about... Yeah. So that makes sense that like... Obviously, like, (laughs) it's just a very different uh, economic landscape back then. Yeah, absolutely. Like, what's crazy, though, is I think that was a number of months post 9-11. Yeah. Oh, wow. Like... Because I would have started 10th grade in September 2001. Oh, shit. And we still went. But yeah. they, what's crazy is like they used to run a Europe trip every two years in my oh, high school wow. and they canceled that. But they let us go to New York That's on a choir so trip and crazy. run around. That is like sort of insane to think about now. So I'm like sort of a junkie for like the experience yeah. of that. And um, I think I said to you guys not long ago, like it is sort of the crazy, the thing that makes me the most wild in my head. Because like fine dining is is more prohibitive than anything else I'm into. It mm-hmm. is like travel prohibitive, cost prohibitive, like and ge- just generally access prohibitive. Yeah. Like I can't 
you know, I, a lot of things about my financial situation would have to change to eat, you know, all the things and places that I want. No, you and a lot of other people. Yeah, yeah. for sure. But in a different world where it's like, oh, I want to get into this topic. I can buy 30 books and documentaries on this and have a great handle on it. Yeah, for a few like, hundred bucks. It's like, yeah. And you basically learn everything. Yeah. Whereas you're talking about half a year salary to eat 20 times. Yeah. In, you know, in places. And Which that's insane. Yeah. That's a wild thing. But and coffee in, in ways is like that too, where it's uh, pretty cost prohibitive, right? Where it's like, the like in the competition realm, like the coffees that they're serving, people don't get to try those, you know? No, for no. sure. Um, they're super expensive or like there's just so little of it available that you'll never get an opportunity to try. Yeah, it. and the reality yeah. is that in that competition world, who the people that are trying it are the competitor, the person that's training the competitor or slash like working with the competitor, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and the judges. And that's pretty much it. That sounds about right. Most yeah. cause they used to do a thing. Um, before the pandemic where in Brewers Cup, at least you could, um, you had like a, an audience portion. So you had to bring, uh, they used to have a role where you had to bring at least five pounds of your competition coffee. And that mm -hmm. rule was set in place. So it kind of like, it was so that you couldn't buy just like a fuck you expensive coffee. Mm -hmm. And that was the thing that like got you through, that got you through, but like that was because you're sure, thing, that was yeah, the signature. Yeah, exactly. Thing, that wasn't that like the thing. It. So that was kind of like the role they had in place. But also you had to use that coffee to serve the, like just people that were there. Yeah, right. And that used to be a thing too. And then that's when people were able to you like say try. You twenty-five pounds. Five, I think. I could be wrong. I think it's oh, maybe it was fifteen. I genuinely don't remember, but I remember traveling with. You could some, still get a fuck you expensive coffee. No, no, no. I know. No, I mean it's sure. Like depending on who you're talking to, for sure, and like what their company has access to, a hundred percent. And they did still. Yeah. Like, but back then, what I'm trying to say is that there used to be a like. I think it was called like audience service or something mm -hmm. like that. Open service? Oh, no, not open service. Yeah. Well, there That's was something the like actual, that. like presentation to the judges oh. for brewers. Yeah. I can remember the SCA events here and where it would be like every competitor had to spend like an hour on bar. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that deal. And uh, I'm just trying to think like if you had to spend an hour on bar, how much could you go through and still have enough to compete? Yeah, like, exactly. And not be short. Yeah. Uh, the season I competed in was the last season where the, that rule was in place. Hmm. Um, I really don't remember too much, but I think hmm. I traveled with 15 pounds of coffee. Hmm. The roaster I worked with, though, was very generous and gave me a lot of coffee. So I think that maybe I also didn't travel with just the minimum. I think I probably had hmm. like like a ton more. Uh, so I was saying you were asking me what I think about like the customer experience. Hmm. And we started tracked so hard. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of tangents in this. It's um, just who we are as people. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, me too. <laughs> like, that's why we get along. I said this to you guys not long ago that like, I think that one of the interesting things about now and then overall is that every coffee shop, for the most part, has skewed towards like white, you know, like butcher block wood, like mm -hmm. countertops and all this stuff. And everything about now and then is dark. You're right in that there isn't too much that is different from like being served if you're like sitting at the bar in a good coffee shop, you know, you're still going to get like for ordering a pour over, like let's just use pour over. Cause yeah. between the cold coffee and the filter shot deal, like those are just not things that you're getting elsewhere. So that's yeah. a whole different, but like for a pour over, you know, you're still being presented with a carafe of coffee, a thing to actually drink it out of and, you know, and that experience. But one, you know, like you guys serve, the carafe with a spoon 
you know, and like be sure to tell people like to stir this some. And whereas some other place would be if they are doing that, the best you're going to get out of them is, oh, swirl it with your hand. But yeah, I mean, it is just a matter of all the things that are that are thoughtful. And I guess I could say a number of things, but I also, for the most part, know better, you know, a little bit that like better in what way? All the coffees at the top of this menu are Tim Wendelboe coffees, and so this is serious. Like, you know, how many places in America are you going to drink a Tim Wendelboe coffee? And yeah. that list yeah. isn't isn't very big at all. Yeah, if you can even figure that out. Yeah, you know, in a real way. And so, like, I'm a little biased in terms of knowing that. Like, I mean, as I do, and am not proud of. I'm trying to like mature out of this. Like, you know, I walked in and went hard. I was yeah. like, oh, what's going on here and all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, and yeah. it became like day one. You like, think that wasn't on purpose? <laughs> like, <laughs> on your part or my part? Uh, listen, I can't I speak know. for you. Yeah. but No, but that's what I mean is like I sometimes I try and control what is on my mind into not coming out of my voice. <laughs> you know, I wish I could do that. Yeah. Can't relate. Well, no, I'm. That's, I said try. I didn't say I was succeeding. So, like, don't be asking for advice of that <laughs> out of me. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of, like, sitting at the bar and other people being there and watching them, like, freak out. Like, what, yeah. like, I guess it's more of a que- the real question is, I suppose, what are the things that do you think make people freak out? Um, I think it's probably just exposure to that level of coffee. It's like, I mean, to be honest, like, I don't think like obviously there's no question that Tim Wendelboe is an amazing roaster. Mm-hmm. His sourcing practices are amazing, but those coffees aren't like inaccessible, right? I mean they're sure. in, they're yeah. prohibitive in the sense that it's like like you have to order it from a different country and it has to get um imported and that kind of thing and like you know, it takes some more time and it's just a little bit more there's a few more steps to getting it. But Which like, for a lot of people that's a barrier. Like if it's difficult to do, they won't yeah, do it. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's also the barrier at shops that are multi roasters bringing in some coffees that they're not really like. That barrier is kind of a big wall for some people, you know. Like, um, if it just depends on how your program's laid out, in the sense that like if you're having to order coffee every two weeks or whatever it is, like mm-hmm. if you're having to order from another country. Uh, you have to time it right so you don't run out of coffee. And so it just adds a lot of like headache as a like if you're a cafe manager and you're the one doing the ordering. It's like um, that's why you don't see coffees like that very often. And I think, sure. you know, um, because of our time in the specialty coffee industry, like we kind of know the styles of coffees that typically are the. I don't want to call them show ponies, but the things that like really like wow people. And it's cool because uh, it serves two different purposes, right? Where we can get the people who like you who are super into coffee and recognize the name Tim Wendebo and like be stoked, but also like people who don't know anything about coffee coming in and asking for recommendations. We give them a Wendebo coffee and they get, they like, get their mind blown because they've never had coffee like that so yeah, it's, like a decent amount of people that are coming into now and then just aren't even aware that coffee can be something elevated yeah. at mm-hmm. all i don't know what they're drinking but like on a day-to-day i don't know what they're drinking but they, yeah. for a lot of people they're like oh my god i didn't know coffee could taste like fruit which obviously yeah, for us sure. that's like 
like duh yeah but a lot of people that's just not something they knew it's interesting because i again you know i mean every person is only the sum of their own experiences at any one time and so like i wouldn't think that way so it's i'm just trying to think about other people and yeah i guess like where like where they're at like i would assume that there are a lot of people coming in who might be drinking at a place like you know like crema here or things like that like a a good like a very good shop and then that you guys are that like coming in to see you guys is like jumping up to like a much higher like transcendent place yeah it's just because of the level of execution that we're able to put in place with like our service style you know that's what like again it's just like the thing that differentiates us from other cafes is just that because of the limited seats um there's only obviously a limited amount of people we have to serve at any given time um and uh we're able to really put a lot of attention to detail when it comes to the actual preparation and we can do all the extra steps that really you know it's all those like one percents that really take it to a whole nother level and like it's the thoughtfulness in every regard you mm-hmm. know um that also just re- like Again, if you're a coffee professional and you're familiar with Tim Wendebo, you see that on the menu, you get stoked. But then also that every step of the way, there's been some sort of attention given and like just all the like the care that Uh, we put into it. I think that it's worth noting that um, something we one of our values is just being present. Um, Hmm. So (laughs) no laptops, no tablets, none of that shit. Um I think that a lot of people are drinking coffee and they've never thought about it. Sure. They're drinking coffee and doing something else. Well, exactly. They're drinking coffee and it's just like in their cup holder on the way to work Mm -hmm. or they're at work or like whatever, you know, like they're this for a lot of people. This may very well be the first time that they've drank coffee and that's it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's some validity there. Yeah, I, I think so. I think too, like, you know, the presentation is huge, right? Where like most coffee shops, they're not making you really question what you're getting, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, the menu is pretty, like they try to basically offer everything, right? Where it's like, yeah. you have every typical cafe offering, like a latte or a cappuccino, whatever. Mm-hmm. All the amounts of milk. Uh, you can yeah. get, you know, there's like honey or simple syrup and then, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But because you, you have... Uh, every option in front of you you land on something that is like pretty standard at most cafes so like let's say an iced latte with some simple syrup if that's what you if that's like your only idea of or like experience with coffee that's what you typically look for in a cafe Mm -hmm. setting and i think what's been interesting is that because we don't have those kind of options it kind of forces people to think a little bit more about like what they're actually ordering. Cause they like obviously on the menu has all the tasting notes and they might not really understand that because that, that part of the conversation gets kind of lost in a typical cafe setting for the most part. And because we only have the one milk drink available and it's a smaller size. So it's a little bit more coffee forward. Mm-hmm. Um, like if they come in, they get that, and it's close to what they get at a normal cafe, just without sugar, and it's just higher quality coffee, higher quality milk. Uh, that typically blows their mind, and that might be the gateway for them to come in and feel like 
there's like that, you know, I mean, we're building that level of trust with each other yeah, and yeah, yeah. they might become interested in trying something else. And like 90% of our menu is black coffee. So it's like, yeah. What a wild concept. <laughs> well, that's what's funny. I, I had, two I mean, it is. Whose idea was that? Fuck it. <laughs> well, I had, two, I had two thoughts in there and those are really that in that idea, I, I just did this the other day. Um, the day you guys had the grinder go down. Oh yeah, and I had a friend in, and you know she is a milk drink person. Yeah, and me being like, being like, well, what a shitty day to bring her here. (laughs) I felt so bad. I was like, oh man, I hope she trusts us. Yeah, and and, well, and uh, you know, between well, I mean, Mercury's she trusts me, and I trust you, and so it was that you know it was that way of being like, hey, get the cold coffee because you know this is a creamy, you know like rich thing and it will replace some of that thing that you're looking for. And like, you know, I don't think that she loved it like in an over the moon kind of way, but at least the point of being like, this is a person that, you know, almost only ever drinks a slightly sweetened milk based drink. Yeah. And that she was like, Oh no, this is really good. Yeah. You know, like, so, you got like halfway on that yeah, one for yeah, sure, yeah. but that is like that is a yeah for sure that is a tangible experience to me of the thing you're talking about. The thing like so, like an adjacent thing that I kind of chalk it up to is like if you've drank Bud Light your whole life and then you have your first like craft IPA, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if you don't have a taste for IPAs when you first have it, you might hate it. You might recognize that it's good quality but you might not like everything about it. And then yeah. you got, once you develop a taste for it, you're like, oh shit, like. This is good, you know. Um, yeah, and it's like you you start looking past the things that you like. Um, a lot of t- times, people just don't like the hoppiness of IPAs, right? Right. Or like, once you work past that and you start really like being able to taste all like the nuance in it, you're like, oh shit! Like I get it now, you know. And that yeah. clicks. I, oh, I was just really gonna say uh, real quick. There's no like follow up to this, but. Uh, also in talking about like milk-based drinks and yeah. uh, that the idea that people are often using like sugar and cream as a one, there is something still, we've talked about this, like there's still something that's like cozy, sexy about like just a cup of coffee with like sugar and cream that still has like a silkiness. And that's like, valid. Yeah. And I mean, I think that too, because people, I know coffee snobs who are just you know, itinerant, just absolutely not anything but quality. Yeah, those yeah. are you know, stuff. Those people are assholes. <laughs> I, I agree. And I'm always the All one the like record. arguing for being like, no, like it very often I am advocating in various things for um all of this is valid. The whole spec like if you can't take the whole spectrum with you, even if you diminish it a lot of it in a way, like I don't drink, you know, drip pot coffee with sugar and cream very often. Yeah. But it's like it's like this year will be the first year that we'll go to Amanda's family and I won't bring coffee gear because yeah. I do every year and I don't ever use it. Her family's just drinking drip hot and I'm like, that's fine. That's great. Yeah. Like I'll, I will have fun and enjoyment with this. But what I was going to say is I, uh, also that is a masking in yeah. a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And it's like people that drink black Folgers, like medium roast coffee are probably serial killers. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, this is actually, this segues really well into what I was going to say. I think that a lot of people approach coffee just with habits. I I haven't figured out how to phrase this per se. Habit and function. Yeah, and we've talked about this before, but a lot of people, 
I'm basing this off of my like eight years as a barista. A lot of people will come in and they're like, I'll get a medium coffee, two creams, two sugars. And because that's what they said, that's the thing that they have said their whole life. Yeah. Um, what is the measurement for two? Well, creams, first of all, sugars? first of all, your barista is not ever going to be using those little tiny little. Like, yeah, no, I don't even know what they're fucking called. Those little like tiny cups, whatever. Yeah. yeah. I personally have never used that. I, as a barista, <laughs> if you say two creams, two sugars, I say, uh-huh, you got it. Like, for sure. Yeah, yeah, totally. Smile, turn around, and just go, bloop. You can't see podcast people, but I just <laughs> tilted my wrist a little bit. And I, if you hand it off confidently enough and you're like, there you go, two creams, two sugars. Yeah. People are just like, if it's within the right, like, color range, more or less, people will just be like, yeah, this is perfect. Yes. But they don't actually know. And so they're always approaching, most people are always approaching coffee based off of what they've just always done their whole life. Yeah. And they don't know coffee in any other way. And so I think a big part of what we're doing is not just like presenting coffee service wise in a different way, but also quite literally just like any habits that you have, you're going to have to not come in with that. Yeah, to now and sure. then, like at now and then we're like, yeah, those habits, leave them out the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we kind of already like touched on this where it's like, you know, you look at the, like, again, the typical cafe setting because our menu doesn't have any of that. It really like, it's funny because, you know, obviously, um, like people see now and then online and they might not look at the little menu thing on our Instagram and realize like, oh, they don't have any of the things that I normally get. Honestly, uh, no. Sometimes people will look at the menu and still because they're coming from their like habits and preconceived notions and whatever. Sometimes people will come in. I can think off the top of my head, like three people, maybe more that have come in and they'll like, look at the menu. They'll start with black coffee. A lot of people will come in and they're just like, I trust you make me a thing. And so I make them a thing. Um, and then like, there was this one guy that came in and I like tried to guide him through the experience. And the reason I say try is because he just was not open. He didn't uh-huh. realize. He just like, it was weird. Um, and I was like, oh, let me walk you through the menu. Uh, and he was like, oh, it's fine. I'll just take a vanilla latte. <gasps> like he didn't even want to look sure. at the menu. But then he did look at the menu. He had a black coffee. It was great. That was dandy. Awesome. Second time he came in, he was like, I actually want to try your milk-based things. Can you make me that vanilla latte? And it's like, I thought you looked at the menu last time. And like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like what? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, I saw you. I saw you with my own eyes. Look at the menu. Where did you see that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, like, it's not that anything's wrong with a vanilla latte. No, there it's is. Just no, like, for sure. I love experience... ice lattes with sugar. Like, just for the record. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's funny that you said about, like, the habits of like, two sugars, two creams. And I was thinking about, like, you know, especially as someone who's from the Northeast, I still fuck with a giant ass Dunkin' Donuts iced coffee. But, it's like, vile. That's that's pretty foul, but well, <laughs> but I uh, that is like a thing of being like okay, I know because that is an automatic dispensing sugar and cream scenario, oh, and yeah. so like I kind definitely of side, know. Sidetrack to this when Dunkin' Donuts first got oat milk. Uh, oh my god, I remember this. Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> I was like very I curious. How we did this? <laughs> <laughs> we were living in. Brandon, Florida, which is very, very far from any cafe that was reputable. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, Dunkin' Donuts has oat milk. I could really go for a latte right now. Well, we just wanted to try it. And too. I wanted to try it. Because we were both yeah. vegan at the time. And so we went to Dunkin' Donuts and uh, I asked for whatever their medium was. I basically got a big gulp. And <laughs> dude, it was fucking huge for a medium. It was huge. It didn't fit in the cup holder. 
I, was, we got two of them. I remember they did heinous. it fit. Oh my god, it was it was heinous, and it gave me a stomach ache. It, and oh I was my like, god, it gave me uh, such bad stomach cramps. <laughs> I bet I don't even think they do an extra large coffee anymore because that used to be a vibe. Oh my gosh, it wouldn't fit in the car. An extra, <laughs> yeah, that's right. if that's the medium, and what the fuck, I can't even. <laughs> yeah, if you if you were ordering a coffee and there is like a small base and then it like opens up to a oh bigger cup, gosh. you are in major trouble. Yeah, it was it was rough. Uh, yeah, that was funny. so I forgot the we fact that. that you drink Dunkin' Donuts still just every once in a while, like you know, uh, I worked at Dunkin' Donuts. Dude. I know what they put in that. That coffee. was your first coffee job, actually. <laughs> Whoa, that's that's I got the actually, cool one. Okay, I got Starbucks. You have actually it was uh it was my second coffee. Oh, well, what? so uh, I worked at a specialty cafe and then I went to the. <laughs> Wait, wait, which one? Off the record? No, no, no. This <laughs> no, is on the record. No, no, no. This is hey, real quick. This is actually where I was going to go next. I was going to ask for both of your like coffee histories. Oh my gosh! Um, <laughs> it's, it's not that complicated, actually. I just yeah. ended up here. <laughs> well, actually, no. It. I think it technically was my first coffee job, but I knew about specialty coffee. Oh, okay. Okay, so back in 2012 or 13, I worked at a place called Merchline. It was like a T-shirt print shop. Is very big. Mm-hmm. Um, they did like, I mean, bands on tooth and nail. Um, they did Skrillex merch. Oh, that's it dope. was yeah. They did kind of a little bit of everything, and so I was working in the shipping, packing and shipping department. And um, one of the owners was uh, guitar player of Underoath, who owns oh cool, uh, King State Coffee in Tampa. And it was pre King State existing, and he was roasting coffee, I think, in his garage. Um, and they had what I thought was a, a really crazy coffee setup. I had never seen <laughs> anything like that, and I, I don't remember particularly what it was. It probably was just an, <laughs> an encore grinder and a, and a Chemex. <laughs> I mean, probably a, maybe an uh, AeroPress encore grinder and like a really nice drip machine. And it like they were making coffee every day, and uh, it was it blew my mind. I was mm. like, this is so good, <laughs> and. Um, you know, going to work, having that every day, and um, like the friend circles that I were was in, they all worked at a spot in Tampa called Buddy Brew, which was the first specialty shop to open in Tampa. Hmm. And you know, this is uh, ten years ago. No one was using scales. Everyone was using Chemexes. What it's, an era! Yeah, yeah, crazy. I'm glad we Every- evolved. Everyone was wearing fedoras. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Uh, it's funny that you say that though because like I think all the time like in another 10 years like what will what is happening now look like in terms or be like thought of in terms of like we've come so far yeah it's crazy yeah so um yeah buddy brew was a thing uh I started going there because someone who worked at merch line told me to check buddy brew out and I started going there and then I met this guy named Joel Davis and he was in the process of opening his own coffee pop-up concept thing called Commune & Co. And, um, you know, flash forward to me working at Merchline, um, I was obviously, like I said, packing and shipping, and we got this order in to print shirts for Commune & Co. At the time, I didn't know what that was. I hadn't met Joel yet. And I packed, I started packing these shirts, and I I just got curious and asked my boss what it was. 
And he's like, oh, it's our our buddy Joel. He's uh, has this coffee pop up that he's doing these shirts for him. He's like, his pop up is like Saturday or something, and uh, told me to check it out. And so I went and because um, you know obviously the coffee setup at the shop piqued my interest, so I started getting interested and decided to go to this pop up. And again, got my mind blown even more because I was like, I've never tasted anything like this. He had this product he had been like. R&Ding forever called Pressure Brew and it's essentially like kind of like cold brew kind of like nitro but not it's just coffee brewed under pressure and mm. um had a really interesting texture to it and he was I think at the time using like Madcap or Ruby one of those like yeah. you know yeah um and so yeah I met Joel and started to going to all of his pop-ups and he at the time went from just having like a tabletop like um like tap system to building like this coffee trike that had a cooler system in it, it was and you fucking could, sick it was crazy that sounds great and so he just started putting kegs of this uh like pressure brew yeah. on tap and just riding this trike around tampa just popping up places for a few hours and selling cold coffee and it was amazing that's awesome and so i just kind of started trailing like where he would go and yeah. going all the time and at the time i was also touring in a band and so I would come home and need a job and uh, I started showing interest in like working for him Mm -hmm. and um, you know I became friends with his brother and his brother told Joel that he should hire me and um, Joel offered me a job and I started you know driving <laughs> riding this fucking trike around <laughs> downtown tampa oh it's hilarious we need to There's... show Matt that so funny <laughs> it's like a two second video but it's so funny it's just me right. on this trike like it's, <laughs> it, this trike's fucking huge um it's like and it is not easy to ride and i'm just riding down the street in downtown tampa and it is you know like so the 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 uh the deal was like i would show up to the warehouse i'd roll this thing out it's like it's like 6 30 or 7 a.m and i'd have to ride this thing like two miles (laughs) (laughs) to downtown tampa and i would just set up in front of this like uh, it was it's the oldest theater in Tampa called Tampa Theater and mm-hmm. then uh, in front of this like flower shop spot and I would just stand there all day just serving coffee to people and like it was it was pretty slow and uh, I basically was just sitting there kind of like reading about coffee on my phone and started bringing books and things like that and trying to learn and then I would go on tour and uh, while I was on tour traveling I was just trying to find shops and no. I was texting Joel like hey I'm in this place where should I go and um yeah it just became uh obsessive hobby for me where like you know honestly it's kind of like everything in my life where if i get into something i really really dive super hard yeah i understand that (laughs) oh my god and so you know uh it kind of snowballed and i kept down that path and yeah that's it's kind of like history from there, right? Where yeah, I just started working in shops and like working for Joel, like here and there, just doing like his events and yeah, things. Cool. And uh, yeah, Demi, <laughs> your turn. Um. Okay. So I, like many other baristas, uh, first worked at Starbucks. Uh huh. Um. I was. I think I. I was nineteen. I was in college. Um, 
I wanted to work at Starbucks because every time I went, it looked like the baristas were having fun. That's it. That's really it. And I was Great. in college and it didn't fucking matter. I just yeah. like needed a way to have some sort of income. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was smart. It's debatable now, maybe. But I was able to get a lot of money, like grants and stuff like that. So uh-huh. I, I like didn't have like a full ride per se, but I didn't pay for anything out of pocket, thankfully, for college. Um, but I did need a job to like live. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I started working at Starbucks because I thought the baristas like were having fun. I did have fun. It sucked also, but <laughs> I had fun. Um, Simultaneously or did you have fun until you didn't? Both. Cool. All, all of you above. Um, no, it was fun. When I was, I started working at Starbucks when I was, when I was living in uh, Miami and that was the only Starbucks where I like actually had a good time. And then I moved to Tallahassee, um, and that's where it kind of went downhill. Hmm. And it was just like upper management and like classic. It's always that way. It's always that way. Yeah. The girl that I was um, dating and lived with when I first moved to Nashville and stuff, she worked at Starbucks and her experience here was so much worse than her like shop in Boston and in Virginia. Yeah. No, it it all comes down to like management um, as it always does. But anyways, um, I looking back, I'm glad that I worked at Starbucks. Um, Because I moved a lot and it allowed me to have a job anytime I moved. Not a lot, but like I moved, whatever. And it allowed me to have a job, which is sick. I also have like corporate experience, I guess, uh, which Davey doesn't really have corporate experience. Uh, I mean, between the two of us, you know, like Uh good spread. Um, While I was in Tallahassee, I was uh, the supervisor at the third busiest Starbucks in the state of Florida. While I was working there, I started going to a little like local specialty shop. I didn't really have an idea of what specialty was, but when I got the job at Starbucks, I was young and like I lived in Miami, which is there's such a deep rooted coffee culture there that while there are specialty shops that exist there, they just weren't on my radar because it just, I don't know. I was just like young and it wasn't a thing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So in Tallahassee, I started going to like a little specialty shop. Um, It's called Lucky Goat. I remember I would drink cold brew. I honestly like I didn't even think about it, really. It was just like this tastes better than Starbucks. Yeah. Um, And I liked that I wasn't drinking Starbucks. Uh, And then while I was going to this or I started going to this cafe, they had a few locations, but I went to one specifically. I went there and I noticed that the baristas there were just having more genuine interactions with people. Mm-hmm. Um, they were actually building like relationships, uh, friendships, and it was like a craft. And which is crazy because I know from having, you know, in my poor years in Nashville of going to Starbucks a lot, like having friends who who were baristas that like that's part of the mission is to like learn people's drinks that when you see a regular you like know to make their drink and shit like that and so it's like it's funny that you're uh going from that kind of like fake interaction yeah i mean i worked at a very very busy busy starbucks Mm. so we thousands thousands i think we were doing like 10k days if not more i I honestly don't don't remember but it was something fucking ridiculous but yeah i went to these this like i went to lucky go and i noticed that the reese's there were just having like more real interactions with people um, I started recognizing like the craftsmanship of coffee and I remember thinking latte art was really cool because I was also like 20. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and so I started teaching myself how to do latte art at Starbucks, which was difficult mm-hmm. uh, because the equipment. But I taught myself by just watching uh, videos on Instagram um, of just baristas doing latte art. And so I would just pay attention to how they were pouring and like whatever went from there. I've seen pictures. It's very impressive what she did at Starbucks. Hmm, I bet. mean, like given the equipment, sure. Yeah. It, looking back, it's like a little def- three stack. Yeah, oh I did God. like. You know, I think I did like a swan. It was fuggly as hell, but, <laughs> but it was no, there. no. You did you did the ugly duckling. You yeah, didn't do I a did. swan at all. Anyways, I remember I remember um, getting not necessarily in trouble, but like a slap on the wrist because I was doing lart. And, latte art for those of you that don't know. I've never heard that. That's incredible. I've said that a lot. What do you mean? <laughs> Lart. I was doing Lart, and I've always been really fast, so I was always on bar. And so I remember doing Lart on bar, and I got maybe like a slap on the wrist or something because they were like, "You're slowing us down. You're affecting our drive-through times." Bullshit. Um, <laughs> Especially because all that all that shit is measurable. So yeah, like, no, hundred percent. Yeah, you for could sure. have like just looked for so at many the reasons. Bullshit. And been like, for so many reasons, that was bullshit. Yeah. But anyways, um, I eventually got a job at a uh Lucky Goat. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Lucky Goat I got a job at was a franchise of Lucky Goat. So it was owned by a different guy. His name's Bob. Um, <laughs> it is. His name's Bob. <laughs> Bob's Lucky Goat. Um, but so Bob owned like a franchise of Lucky Goat and I got a job there. And um, before I got the job there, I would I I lived like a few blocks away from that location. So I would just go. And I remember I became friends with the baristas and I became friends with the manager at the time. His name is Evan. And I was telling Evan, like, what do I have to learn? Like, I want to know more. I I know that there's more. Tell me, what do I do? And he put me on The World Atlas of Coffee by James Hoffman. (laughs) And so I bought that book Uh uh, and I read it front to back. So many notes, left and right, all of it. And so when I got the job there, um, I started as a barback. What does a barback at a Take orders and pull the tap for cold brew ah, and drip you. coffee and that's it essentially i just like couldn't trust your espresso machine oh cool yeah yeah as a bar bag i just couldn't touch the espresso machine there's a, a lot of dishes a lot of just like cold brew and drip and taking orders um within i was like trained whatever i did really well uh essentially the guy that trained me his name's ben um i knew everything already so he had a hard time training me uh-huh. and so he started doing uh little tests for me um and he would do like triangulations so he would present me with three different cups of coffee and one of them was different and that was a lot of fun for me uh I was really good at it and it was just a lot of fun uh I just dove really hard into specialty coffee uh I think I became the lead barista I don't know man like within six months maybe maybe less maybe more something like that definitely within a year um and then about six months after starting at that specialty shop, I got pretty good at latte art pretty quickly. And then I stopped caring about it. But I remember that some of my friends went to a throwdown in Gainesville, which is like four hours away from Tallahassee. And they didn't invite me. And I remember being pissed off because I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know that I want to do a throwdown. Nothing yeah. happens in Tallahassee. Why didn't y'all invite me? The next competition that happens, I'll be there. And then very mysteriously, a poster for something called the Breeze League appeared um, on the bulletin board at the cafe I worked at. And I'm a person of my word. So I said, looks like a competition. 
I'm doing it. <laughs> and so I signed up. I signed up with my uh, co-worker slash friend. Her name is Michael because you need a partner to compete in this. Um, I didn't realize that I had accidentally signed us up for a national competition. Uh, I didn't realize until after they started announcing um, who else was competing. I, I, so I had to Google like people and I started realizing like, oh, fuck, these are big dick people. Like, what the fuck <laughs> did I do? I haven't even been to specialty coffee for a year. That's insane. I, I just got here. You fucked around and we're about to find out. Yeah, no, and find out I did. Um, um, we trade our asses off because I'll be fucking damned if I'm going to be a fool. Like, I wasn't going to be made a fool. I was not. Uh-huh. So I was going to, I trained my fucking ass off. I was just religiously studying the SCA wheel, tasting things left and right, like everything, everything I could. And then we drove eight hours to uh, Greenville, South Carolina for the competition. And the whole drive up, um, the whole drive up, we were just joking about how like, oh, we're going to make fools of ourselves. Like, this is going to be so embarrassing, but there's an open bar. So let's just make (laughs) friends. Yeah. (laughs) I had just turned 21 too. (laughs) And so I was like, yeah, let's just make some friends. Fuck it. Um, Long story short, got very drunk, but also won. Oh. Yeah. Cool. We also won. Uh, And then we ended up taking second place nationally because it was three competitions across the country. Oh, cool. So, yeah, I took second. Second place is... uh, I mean, also, that was like... I don't think I I had even competed in a throwdown prior to that. Anyways, after that, came home to Tallahassee and Evan, who was no longer working there, but Evan was just like, oh, that's really cool that y'all did that. Does that qualify you for like the U.S. Barista Championship? And I was like... What's that? The what? I was like, <laughs> what? Because after that, I was like, oh, fuck. I like winning. This is great. <laughs> I've always been very competitive. And I... Were you a mathlete? No. Oh. No, but I was very good at math. Not so much nowadays, but <laughs> I, sure. I, I used to be very You're good. So math. <laughs> so mathlete, can you imagine? Honestly, that would track for me. Yeah, that's why I asked, because I was like, I don't... I didn't know that I didn't know that the answer was right. No, but, like, I went to a very been. underfunded high school. Ah, uh, fair. Uh, so I think okay. Anyways, we can talk about my childhood on another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, um, I didn't know what that was, so I googled it, um, and then that's when I discovered like the U.S. Coffee Championship world. The next season, which was like a year later, is when the season would be starting up again. I um, competed in a prelim, and because that was just kind of like the taste. I competed in a prelim and did really well. I got fourth place, I think, maybe fifth. And I missed the top four or three by less than a quarter of a point. And so my friend, Sarah, who was like running and managing the, the competition, she like found me and she was like, Demi, you have to keep going. You were so close. And so I just got the bug and I just like very, very, very early on fell into like the competition world. Shout out Sarah Fanak. Yeah, shout shout out to Sarah Fanak. I love her so much. She ruined my life, but also made it what it is today. <laughs> no, in the best way possible. I love her so much. Uh, just very early on fell into the competition world, which for a lot of people, they don't even know that world exists at all. Like mm. coffee people. A lot of people just don't even know that that world's is something that they can do or that it exists or anything like that. Yeah, that's interesting. I remember... Uh, Davey saying to me on like your opening day, we were talking about stuff and he was being like, there are a lot of cafes that don't train you at all. Yeah. Yeah. No, for real. And it's like, that's insane. And it's, it is crazy that you can be in what would, you know, not just vaguely resemble, but be a real specialty shop 
and not be connected to a the greater world of like competition or high end or like exploratory things. Yeah. That, like oh, there's yeah. still a lot of people that are just day jobbing that. Yeah. Which do you guys think that coffee is a wild career? Like Define to end up in wild. It's yes sort of like no. a weird thing. It's sort of a thing that like do you think how many people do you think go into the idea of working in coffee as a like real career choice as opposed to just like being someone in college that needs money and then like sustaining that into like a I career think, career? I think a lot of people just kind of end up in coffee and then fall in love with it. A lot of us all have the same story where we're, we're just like, oh, I just needed a job. And then I yeah. realized I love it. And coffee attracts a very specific kind of person. We're all kind of similar. Yeah, yeah I think it just kind of depends on your personality type. And like, you know, if you started Starbucks, if you get exposed to specialty coffee and it piques your interest, you know, then you'll probably fall into it. But yeah. I, you know, we've met people who are just like, oh, yeah, I worked at Starbucks in college and then now I'm an accountant. <laughs> yeah, so, like, yeah, yeah. it kind of just depends, oh, right? Oh, it didn't like, ruin your life? <laughs> well, but not that I want to, like, start having political discussions and stuff, but, like, I think that there's a part of me that thinks that, like, the push for unionization and things like that in shops, I think, is kind of the result of the humanistic needs that are built around ending up in an industry that is not meant to be a greater employment or like long-term life sustaining. I th- well, the coffee industry, especially the spe- the specialty coffee industry is very young. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's what, well, 10 years it. ago, people weren't using fucking scales. Yeah. That's what we were saying before <laughs> is like the mindset about it is that it has matured so much, but also that again, like I said before in 10 years, we will look at this time and be like, man, we didn't know so much shit. About, oh my god, you know. it's crazy. Yeah, and I think this, like in most people's view, coffee, whether it's specialty or not, people don't see it as a life, like a long term career, especially like yeah. boomers. You know, like they think coffee shop is like, oh, that's a kid's job. And you know, it's yeah. it just goes back to like um, the thought that we were just listening to something where. Um, people were talking about being too good like coffee oh that's what it was coffee shop new coffee shop owners we have this book called uh how I, how to run a coffee shop or oh yeah is it one of the Scott Rail ones yeah it's yeah. on it's on the site yeah, yeah. yeah we were talking about that and yeah, um we were literally just talking about this in our kitchen before we came here of like there's people who want to start a coffee shop but have never worked in service and one of my favorite things is in that beginning of that book it says like one of the first pieces of advice he gives people who want to start a shop is to go work as a barista <laughs> and mm. most people are like no <laughs> it's like sure, yeah. why would you <laughs> like uh he said uh or he poses the question of like you know he asked them to go work a coffee shop job and they have no desire to work in service at all and it's like then why are you opening a coffee shop you know like yeah And also another thing, too, about like owning a business, too, is like going back to watching my dad like run the restaurant we owned is like sometimes he would have to be the cook. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and was not equipped. Like, I mean, you know, we weren't crazy, but it was like a nice Italian-American place in Scranton, you know, and like but sometimes the cook wouldn't be there, you know, for sickness or whatever. And it's like 
my dad was the only person that could do that. Or like if you're the owner and you have to be a server because sometimes you just need to jump in. Yeah. Like yeah. any owner of a business that is not willing to jump in. You a know, lot or, of coffee shop owners are not willing to jump in. Yeah, which is crazy, right? Like, but Yeah, that's insane. That idea that's just like you should be equipped and willing because or and not and not even willing just like rising to the need it's about necessity you know Mm -hmm. and yeah that kind of thing and well it's also like if you're the owner ideally you you are the one who created the systems in place for your business to run so you should know how to work every position yeah whether that's like being the dishwasher being the server being the barista being the cook whatever that position is like ideally you know you've you know, you don't have to be like the best at it. You know, you just have to have an understanding of what. Well, I think the that if you're going to ask someone to do something, you should be willing to do it yourself. Yeah, and that is that's something that I've always thought. Jumping ahead, like a little bit, like what were the pop up now and then experiences like? Okay, wait. This is actually also relevant. Okay, good. Because I kind of like trailed off with my history. Yeah, you're fine. Mid early competition season. I moved to Tampa. Mm -hmm. I left Tallahassee and I moved to Tampa um, because I knew that competing would cost me an arm and a leg. Uh Um, I wanted to leave Tallahassee already as is, but like I, I was the uh, assistant manager slash lead barista at the shop at at Paper Fox. So that lucky got rebranded into Paper Fox and I, I took leadership really seriously and I knew that if I was competing, it would consume me and I wouldn't be able to be as present in that role. So that's a huge part of the reason why I left as well. And when I went to Tampa, I thought Tampa, large city, many cafes, there must be like a coffee community. I couldn't have been more wrong. Hmm. And so I was competing (laughs) and I was competing and like going out and brushing shoulders with literally like the top coffee professionals of the world. Right. I also I got training through Glitter Cat, which literally was like number one coffee professionals of the world were giving me training. And so I was leaving town and just like doing this really cool shit and then coming home and like no one knew what I was doing. No one cared. Um, And so contributed very heavily to burnout. Yeah. Um, I also worked at cafes where like I remember asking for sponsorship at the first cafe I worked at and they I don't even think that they read the fucking thing that I read that I wrote up. I don't even think that. And I. Oh, my God. (laughs) I don't even think they read it. That's. But yeah, super burnt out. It's not funny, but it also is kind of I mean, it's funny looking back, but like in the moment, I remember being really upset. Um, Anyways, we're sitting on the couch. We're both super burnt out. Uh, We met through coffee and we just like, we have a lot of the same values Uh and energy and like that's why we're here together now. Uh We were both very burnt out. And so we wanted to do something different. Yeah, so it was was October of 2021. we were sitting on the couch, and I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, why don't we just start our own coffee thing? Like, what's stopping us really from just, like, shaking shit up and doing things in our own way and being our own boss? And, like, you know, we both have enough experience under our belt that we could, like, bring something to the table that was meaningful and not just yeah. a traditional cafe. Yeah. And, you know, we did, at the time, we didn't know what that looked like. And, sure. um you know, it would be my first thing back in the coffee industry because at the time I was still working at the restaurant. And um, I knew after working in the restaurant, like I, I really loved working there. It was great. But also I knew that 
I couldn't see myself doing that long term. Um, because I I like had had ideas of like why don't I just open my own restaurant and then yeah, when I started you know really exploring that I was like I don't think I want to do that yeah <laughs> well like actually this isn't that relevant but it's kind of funny because we did kind of go down that path a little bit where Davey got into fermentation and then my I was raised to have a pretty entrepreneurial spirit uh-huh. uh, and so we at first we're gonna start a fermentation business. And then Which we, was really fun. No, it was yeah, super fun, I and bet. the branding was great. It, it was I won't say what it was called. It was a great. It's a great name, and we don't have it like uh, uh-huh. <laughs> really, yeah, 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 exactly. But anyways, um, we we went so far as to be like, okay, well, let's open a restaurant. This and, is pandemic. So yeah, like, and sure, we yeah. were like, let's open a restaurant, and then we realized how much it costs to open a restaurant, and we were just like, that's insane. We can't like that's too much. And then after all that, also we neither of us really, had ever worked in a restaurant. Yeah, I have yeah. not exactly, and so. After all that is when we realized, oh, wait, we we can start something with coffee. Hold on. Like we we both have yeah. a lot of experience uh-huh. in that thing. Why don't we just do that? Yeah, it's funny because so the fermentation business was like um, during pandemic, I had bought a bunch of fermentation books like the Noma Guide to yeah. Fermentation. And I found it so intriguing. Like I made like. The first ferment I had ever made was a hot sauce. Uh, oh, yeah. I bought like a fuck ton of Fresno chilies <laughs> and some <laughs> habaneros. And I literally like uh, balls to the wall, like no idea what I was doing. I had just, you know, thrown it in a jar, didn't have a scale at home. So I, <laughs> it's like, okay, just a couple tablespoons of salt. And I used iodized salt. Oh, oh no. Oh, my God. That hot sauce is probably still in our fridge. I think it is. I think that you're like, <laughs> you've been holding on to it. It's years. It's like radioactive red. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's crazy. It smells amazing. So, it, yeah, it was uh, Fresno chilies and habaneros. And, uh, yeah, threw that shit on a jar at my mom's house. It started growing calm yeast on top. And I, was uh. like, I was like, is this mold? What is going on? Um, and so I had the advantageous idea of, like, damn, and like I, so, fast forward like three or four weeks of that ferment going, um, ended up tasting amazing, and I was like, mm. "Oh shit, this is good." And uh, wait, what is it that they say? And I think you should leave. It's simply too good. I, have to <laughs> I really out. need to figure out how to make money off this. It's simply <laughs> yeah. too good. That was us with our yeah. fermentation yeah. business. <laughs> so yeah, I made this hot sauce, and pandemic. Obviously, no one was working, and I right. needed to make money. I had bills, and um. <laughs> so I was like, I'm just going to start selling some hot sauce and some pickles and things like that. And I put up like a post of like, hey, I'm making some ferments, like trying to sell to my friends. And I sold way too much. Oh, my God. <laughs> I like a lot of people. It was like I had like 60 orders and I was like, I don't I <laughs> how am I going to do <laughs> this? This is my yeah. home kitchen. Like, yeah. I can't do this. And I wasn't able to like I ended up not taking money for six like most of those orders oh, i yeah. made like 12 <laughs> it's like i was like i this is like yeah. too much yeah, i don't fermentation storage is just like is oh, like it was the ins- prohibitive thing towards yeah. like i tried i like i really gave it a college try dude i went to home <laughs> depot and i bought like uh these like um two by six like pieces of wood and i bought some like wall mounts and I made these shelves in my mom my mom's house <laughs> <laughs> and uh I just like 
putting ferments on the wall, and I I just literally could not keep up. It was insane. And um, I basically was like, okay, I could probably actually make some real money off of this. Um, and everything started opening up again. And so I tried, I made, created this whole branding because like my background is like graphic design. Yeah. And I was like, this would be really fun if I could try to do something new in the sense that Tampa wasn't really doing ferments like this, but I was thinking, what if I worked with local restaurants and I tried to create ferments specifically for them to serve like, you know, yeah. if a, a restaurant was like, hey, we need a hot sauce that's this, I could create that for them and then use the byproducts also in the restaurant where it's yeah. like a hot sauce again is like, okay, I ferment these Fresno chilies and then I take the leftover like pulp and I dehydrate it and turn that into a seasoning. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you just know, getting weird with it. Yeah, just like really like making trying to make a sustainable business. And it was really fun. But then I, you know, it like trying to scale it, it was like, okay, I can't do this. Like, yeah, right. I, and it just wasn't fun anymore. Like, I, <laughs> I started making sauerkraut and things like that for uh -huh. some friends. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, if I have to make 50 gallons of sauerkraut, I'm going to want to die. I know. Like, I've done, I've only ever really done like kimchi and sauerkrauts yeah. in terms of ferments. And like that in and of itself is like enough to. It's a whole thing. Yeah. And it's like, I want to keep the, the, my interest in this alive. Like if I try to make money off of this, it's not going to be fun anymore. Well, we realized one, it was really expensive. So that kind of escalated into like the restaurant idea of whatever. And uh, we realized, one, it's really expensive. And then while we were still kind of like jarring and stuff, we realized this is just really fucking boring. Yeah. And we don't want to do something that's well, boring. Well, you make, you know, you make 10 gallons of sauerkraut. And then if it doesn't go correct, you just wasted a bunch of money. Yeah. And I, you know, it's a lot it was literally like, it's, boring. it's literally like we, this money's coming out of our own pocket. And yeah, it's, right, of course. We don't have enough experience in this to like actually execute at the level we're supposed to if we're going to actually make money off this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was just, yeah, like most things, like I was That's just never very, stopped a lot of people. I was just very naive us. and uh, also well, like just had the really quick realization of like, oh, this is like, this is going to kill the fun if I try to make money off this. Yeah. Um, Damage what you just said though about like that would like that wouldn't stop most people but it stopped you but like that is the thing that is like the through line of like that thing towards like where you are at the present. Yeah. Oh okay. yeah. We like, we've talked about this, but um, we won't do something unless we know that we can do it very well. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so you know we <laughs> we took the fermentation idea, took it to the backyard, and shot it. And <laughs> it survived, but it's not in the same form at all. It'll eventually be relevant again soon. It survived in the sense that I want to just do it for fun, for friends, and at my house, and not in large volumes. Yeah, right. <laughs> but anyways, so after after that, you know, it had been a couple years, and um, we were sitting on the couch and thought, like, why don't we just start our own coffee business? Like. We could probably do this in a way that people aren't doing it here, and we could probably actually make a meaningful contribution to the coffee community in the sense that, you know, the things that we wanted in coffee weren't it didn't exist in Tampa, and um, you know, looking at people like Joel Davis with Communico, like he just had this idea and ran with it, yeah. and 
you know, I looked up to him a lot. I still do. He's the fucking best. And, um, you know, I asked a few of our friends who were cafe owners um, for help. And, Mm -hmm. you know, people like Bandit Coffee and St. Pete were fucking integral to us really getting up and running, um, helping us get equipment. Joel, like, you know, he had with Communico opened a shop that I worked at called Union Coffee, which had closed during the pandemic. Rest in power. Other Joel. Joel Eastlick. Uh, Joel Eastlick, yeah. He was also integral to our success of like picking his brains about coffee and like um, cupping stuff with us. Yeah. Um, we would get samples in and just invite him over and we would just cup together and see what him. he thought. And, you know, when Now and Then first started, it was not this like elevated experience. It definitely was elevated, but it was like, you know, let's bring in some coffees that aren't accessible to people. Like, Let's bring a cup of excellence in yep. or like um, something like that and just put it on bar. And so essentially what happened was I took out a loan for like 15K and I bought an espresso machine um, and I bought a gr- couple grinders and <laughs> uh, we got some cups and handful of other things and that blew the budget <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. it was like oh shit i still have to i have to put this on something yeah and so you know uh was doing research online and most people were just going to ikea and buying like a uh u- utility cart and Dude, modding it, was it the out jankiest cart it was amazing it was i bet i kind of wish a we valiant had steed I miss, I miss it <laughs> so um yeah we had like probably 600 bucks of our $15,000 loan left <laughs> just like so drove down to IKEA <laughs> yeah. picked up our you know i think it was like 2 or 300 bucks yeah. um utility cart and then i went to home depot i bought a bunch of wood and self uh, self-tapping screws oh and, yeah <laughs> you know i had power tools so whipped yep. this thing together Bought a cheap pitcher rinser and then just DIY'd everything um, yep. using old equipment left over from Communico and just like piece this thing together. And uh, yeah, it was now and then was born on this nice. like spray painted black IKEA cart. It was we definitely incredible. had like priorities. The True. cart was not the priority. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it just I had mean, to like be a platform for us to put our shit on, and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was. So what was the response like to that, like what you guys started doing? Uh, So the very first pop up, um, it was before our espresso machine had arrived. Um, We just had an EK43. We had three V60s and uh, we borrowed the old uh, square register from (laughs) and, um, you know, the like we had announced it and people were stoked um, and I, at first I thought people were going to kind of like, you know, like weren't going to really care, but I mean, there was the very first post, like people were stoked because we, we had a date to what we were doing, you yeah, know, like great. we announced we the pop We also went around town and just like told all our friends and like. It's like, oh, we were doing, we're doing this thing. Yeah. And, yeah, and people were excited for us. We don't know what it looks like, but we're doing it. And, um, we gained a little bit of a following very first pop up, uh, I don't remember. I think it was February 10th or 13th of 2022. February 12th. I remember because I looked up the birth chart. I knew it was somewhere around there. <laughs> um, it was. I at- remember because I specifically wanted now and then to be an Aquarius. Oh, my God. So um, we uh, 
were like so uh, we lived right down the street from a bottle shop called Jug and Bottle. <laughs> yeah, a bottle Great. shop. Yeah. Um they sold natural wine. There was a vegan restaurant in there called Three Dot Dash. Mm. Shout out. Um and uh they had like this bar area and it was like one of the first places Joel had done a pop up and I was like this would be kind of perfect because all of our friends go here to buy beer and wine yeah. and yeah it was like a, um, it, it is a spot like they had a outdoor patio area and i was like this would be perfect so we just pop up on the bar people can sit and have coffee and it'll be sit it'll be chill and uh parking was pretty cool and you know yeah. let's let's just see how it goes yeah. so um we like previously was really close friends with uh tanner over at hex and um, you know, they were the Still first are. coffee. Yeah, he's the homie. Um uh ordered some coffee from him and yeah, let her rip. Awesome. Uh, so it was just a pour over pop up. Yeah. yeah. We had pour overs, uh and cold steep tea. Cold steep tea. Um we had a couple tea options and then uh I think we had cold brew too. Well, yeah, we had like your cold coffee recipe, whatever. Um but I don't remember, do we even do cold coffee? Yeah. Well, whatever. It I'm was mostly sure. like a pour over pop up. Yeah. Um, before we quote unquote opened, a bunch of our friends were lined up. We had like twenty people crazy. in line. It was That's insane. Awesome. So we were starting at so, so so much support just right off the bat. Well, we opened the doors, no one was outside, and then within like three or four minutes there was like a very large line. And for four hours we got fucked. <laughs> so because was... I competed in Brewers Cup, I'm capable of making multiple pour overs at the same time yeah sure and that i did for like four hours straight all i did was make pour overs it was <laughs> crazy incredible. it we was sold out insane it was sick. awesome um and i was like oh shit like this is something uh viable like we made an like you know it wasn't a crazy amount of money it was like a thousand dollars but like yeah. you know to do one pop-up make a thousand dollars and you know <laughs> just like, grow, you know? Yeah, for sure. We still worked full-time jobs. Now and then was just something that we did on the weekends yeah. once a month. And made some extra, like... Yeah, just some, like... Yeah, a little something. bit of fuck you money and... Well, yeah, at first like, we didn't pay ourselves. At first we just put everything right back oh, in the Oh, sure. Yeah, of course. And the only after, money we took for ourselves is after a pop-up, we would go buy ourselves dinner. Yeah, we would always go to this Indian restaurant called uh, Curry Leaves. Shout awesome. out. Love Curry Leaves. Uh, but everything else, like, the money all went into now and then. And then after like a handful of pop-ups, I looked at Dave and I was like, hey, we should start paying ourselves because we can. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, so the, that was the very first now and then pop-up was a just a pour-over bar. Yeah. And, um, you know, initially we actually weren't going to offer pour-overs because it was just the two of us. And it's like if we got busy, like... Espresso and batch brews, baby. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so we didn't even have batch brew. It was only no. espresso. And so... Yeah, the that was the first now and then pop up, and then the next one um, we got offered to just pop up at this like food fest, hmm. and um, oh my god, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we just had cold brew and cold coffee, and we were just set up outside, and it was it was fine. You know, it wasn't the best thing in the world. Um, and I told Demi, I was like, I never will pop up outside again. It's just not going to happen because I'm not going to buy these like expensive coffees and make serve them in a mediocre way like well it was just like an opportunity and we didn't really know what we were doing so yeah. we took the opportunity and pretty immediately we realized this fucking sucks we don't want to do this no and i i mean i understand that like i i am the kind of like person who 
I wish I could like jump into things like that without yeah. like laying out the plan so distinctly. Mm-hmm. Like that is that is what you did is the way to go. You did the thing that is more supposed to be like, oh, let's do this, and then if it's fucked up, let's not do that again. Yeah, you know, instead of being like, I need okay, like anticipating problems like that for most people isn't going to create growth and realization. No, no, I remember way. being like under this fucking like tent sweating so much because it's so hot (laughs) and because it's florida and just like davy and i looking at each other we're mid fest and we're just like we're never doing this again this is not it like this is just like it wasn't even a problem with the fest it was fine the fest was fine it was just the fact that like people don't value what we do and because we're just like a coffee pop-up under a tent. Yeah. Yeah, I think that maybe at this point we hadn't even fully fleshed out what we wanted, sure. but like subconsciously we just both knew that this, it, this just wasn't it. This was and then yeah. we just never did anything like that ever again. Yeah. And so then, you know, fast forward like a month or two after that pop-up we hadn't had a pop-up in the books yet because um, our express machine wasn't there. Finally got it and um, built the, the janky Ikea cart. And <laughs> um, we like got everything together, created a new menu, and was like, okay, going forward, now and then was going to be an espresso and tea bar, and we're only going to do espresso. We're going to focus on this one thing and just like take it as far as we possibly can and... Um, and so that's what we did. We, you know, we were just running a GS3 manual paddle, which is still what we have now. We had a, a, a Malconeg E80. And and then, <laughs> you know, we had the EK, but we didn't, like, power, because of power restrictions, sure, we didn't yeah. use it. And um, we didn't even have, we didn't have drip coffee or anything either. We just had cold steep tea, hot teas, and then, yeah, full espresso bar. Um, and so, and it was just me and Demi. And so she would work the register and then I would work bar cause she is much better at talking to people than I am. Um, because I have a Mercury and Virgo. It's actually because you worked at Starbucks, but <laughs> that, that too, <laughs> that also that really good with customer service. Um, and so, uh, the very first espresso pop-up, it was at jug and bottle again. And, uh, it was crazy. Like we saw, so we, um, did I think the very first one was two days. Uh, we did Saturday, Sunday, and there were just like these like four hour service windows. Um, it was, was, I think, it was like 10 to 2, 10 to 2, yeah. Something like that. That sounds and right. so, um, we would buy like 10 pounds of coffee and basically would sell out almost the first day, which is 10 pounds of coffee, one group head, just espresso. That shit's crazy, yeah. Gosh, um, and yeah, it was like. The menu, it wasn't like, I won't say it's similar to what we have now because it's not, but we like, it was definitely elevated, right? Where it was just like, okay, espresso, two sizes of espresso and milk, and then um, espresso and water. So it was Americana. Yeah. And then um, uh, you could do cold espresso and milk. And then we had all of our tea options, a little like pretty different than what we have now. But yeah, it was just like, we were doing smaller sizes. It was kind of similar to like a European style cafe. So yeah. like it was only six and eight ounce mm-hmm. um, espresso and milk. Yeah. And then Which that alone was like, that was so crazy that we didn't offer a larger yeah, beverage. Sure. Yeah. And so it went really well. Cause we were like every month it was a new roaster and we were just buying, you know, 
yeah. 10 pounds of everything and ripping through it. And we were selling out every single pop-up. It was crazy. That's awesome. Most That's of the time we would, I think there was like maybe once where we sold out fully on Saturday, but we would sell through like 80% of the coffee we had on Saturday. And then just the next day go 10 until sell out. So sometimes we would sell out within an In hour. like an hour yeah. of opening. Yeah, yeah which is crazy. And then, you know, like the only thing we ever really have left over is retail. And then I would just post that on our Instagram and then it would get sold out. Yeah. Um, but to people who couldn't make it. And so it was going really well. And we felt like we were really onto something in the sense of like elevating like coffee, like not really service because it was a pop up, but sure, like yeah. elevating the coffee experience in the sense that like yeah. smaller drinks and making it more coffee forward. And, um, you know, that's kind of where the trajectory started, where we felt like maybe we really do have something here where people are interested in trying these like nicer coffees. Like we had Tim Wendebo, you know, um, we had we were bringing in Say, we had some um, coffee from Onyx, hmm. um, the homies. Uh, we had Hex again. We did we did all kinds of stuff. And um, then, you know, we really started thinking about like, okay, what if we did a brick and mortar? And like, what does that look like? You know, yeah. like I constantly, you know, wanted to try to push what we were doing to be better every day. I was constantly yeah. trying to refine and simplify what we do and try to be different. Um, not just for the sake of being different, but be different because it's innovative. Yeah. And I just started thinking about um, the first time I went to Japan and having coffee over there, thinking about the experiences in coffee that absolutely floored me. Um, one particular instance that I always think about is uh, uh, in a previous life, I used to tour in a band full time. And um I was in Seattle and I was um, a hired gun on this like indie tour. And I was just, you know, had the like bunch of free time that day. And so I was just Ubering around Seattle and I Ubered to uh, La Marzocco Cafe, Rest in Power. Oh, God. Yeah. And, Rest in Power. Um, La Marzocco Cafe, the concept was uh, they were, they had like every La Marzocco machine available there. And they had like this, you know, it kind of wrapped around the bar where you could just play with machines. And, oh, cool. Um, then this round cafe in the center. And they every month, I think, um, they were changing to new roasters. And they were bringing in all kinds of stuff. And at that particular time, they had Onibus from Japan. And they flew in the, some of the staff, oh, if not crazy. all of the staff, from Japan um, oh, that's awesome. to work in the cafe. And I think it was like only a week. Yeah. or two and um i happened to be there i think on the last day and uh i just had ordered a shot of espresso and it blew my fucking mind it was incredible i can imagine um and i had never had anything like that like you know i had been at that point touring for like 10 years yeah. and going to cafes all over the world yeah. and um it would it absolutely floored me um i couldn't wrap my mind around how they got it to taste the way they did and um i because of that one experience like looking forward and at now and then thinking about like how do we elevate what we do to that it's like chasing that you know yeah. um yeah like, i think that davey and i are both the type of people to want to just be the best versions of ourselves mm. and we 
are just constantly pursuing excellence within our own lives and it so it just makes sense that we're doing that with now and then too yeah it's a it's a lot of just our personalities honestly i dig that yeah and so it's that like initial experience of like i want to give people that experience yeah but i want to like try to harness that and like make it repeatable and um you know looking at the landscape of tampa what it had to offer um coffee wise just really was not like you know, in line with what we wanted to do, yeah. you know, um, everything was kind of just the typical cafe model, which is fine. There's yeah, nothing sure. wrong with that. But like, you know, and again, again, just in the pursuit of trying to do something different and try to push and create something that was meaningful, um, you know, because of the restaurant history I had and my like love for fine dining, um, just looking at like what separates fine dining from like a regular restaurant that's high end, you know, like it's the service and it's the level of execution and the quality of the ingredients. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, why hasn't anyone done this same thing, but just with coffee. And so, you know, you look at like, you know, the competition world and they're bringing in what are supposed to be the best coffees in the world. And no one gets to have that experience. You know, yeah. like we talked about earlier that only the judges get to try that. The competitors get to try that yep. and the people who are working with the competitors and that's it. Um, and it's like, okay, why don't we like, you know, obviously we, initially we were bringing in like competition coffees or just stuff that was elevated it's like, okay, why don't we take that concept and push it even farther? But then also where the coffee shop, typical cafe experience lacks is the service, right? Where, you know, they can talk about like how great their coffee is online all day, but then, you know, you go into a cafe and it's like this line out the door McDonald's style service, which again is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It fills a necessity, but also like, it's not pushing our industry in a direction that it can really grow to be something more than just a commodity. Like people don't value it because they're not having this kind of conversation about like where their coffee's coming from. The level of execution is typically not that high because a lot of people don't see even specialty cafe jobs as something that they're going to do for a lifelong career. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's with the concept that we landed on is like, Tampa, I don't think with the state of the food scene there and the beverage scene there and the coffee scene, it was large enough to support the how big our dream was of opening a sit-down style cafe that mm-hmm. had limited amount of seats and had a limited menu in the sense of what you could get. Um, you know, like it's just thinking of how people would respond to that. You know, like you wouldn't go into a fine dining restaurant and ask for salt and pepper. Sure. You yeah. know, it's you're, you're going there because you trust the chef is going to execute at a high yes. level. And I just didn't think in Tampa, Florida, people were ready to come into a coffee shop where they couldn't add cream and sugar and they had to trust the ability of the barista preparing their drink to do it at a high level because they like no one has that like has had that kind of experience there mm-hmm. you know yeah. there yeah and e- i mean even anywhere nashville f- like anywhere in the united states i don't think that the general population has that kind of uh level of trust with <laughs> a baristas or yeah no a i cafe mean experience you know that's a hundred percent true and uh the word you use back there because i'm fucking big on words yeah um you used the word commodity before, and that's a great way, I think, to delineate what even a high-end 
great specialty shop is mm-hmm. versus what you guys are doing is even on its highest end, it is still commodity. Yeah. You know, and in a funny way, I had this thought before you even said that and thinking about that, like now I treat now and then like my coffee commodity. Yeah. Because I appreciate that in that dining way and in the coffee way. Yeah. It's like, I sometimes now feel bad that if I'm going out, I only go to now and then for coffee. But also <laughs> like- shouldn't. We love it. Well, yeah. But also the thing is like, <laughs> for me, why would I do anything else? Now, yeah. You know? And besides like some variety and stuff, like yeah. we went to Matryoshka like a couple weeks ago. Love them. And love them. Uh, yeah, which was a great experience and we just hadn't been yet. And sometimes like that'll happen. But if it's just me- it's like, no, I want that thing. Like, yeah. I want, you know. Well, I think it's okay that everything in life can be on a spectrum, right? Yes. Where, like, food's on a spectrum. You're not yeah. going to fucking eat a three Michelin star meal every single day. That's right. You know, like. You would die. That would be, that would <laughs> be, be like. You'd be so broke. You'd be broke, and it would also be, like, supersize me. It would oh be my like, gosh. imagine if you were eating bone marrow <laughs> oh every <my> day. <laughs> like, caviar would, uh, yeah, and beef just, tartare yeah. <laughs> every single every day. Every single day. It's, you don't grow an appreciation for that stuff if you get to eat it every well, day. If you don't make and the it same special. thing goes with coffee, right? Like you can't appreciate amazing high quality coffee if you're not drinking shitty coffee from time to time. Yeah. That's right. You know, like like there's a reason diner coffee is still fucking good. Yeah. Like I there's there is something nostalgic and like there's nothing wrong with going to fucking Waffle House and just getting a cup of like shitty drip coffee yeah. and putting some cream in it and some sugar. There's something like there's that that is valid. That is like like there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with any of the way it like how you enjoy coffee is like 100% valid and everyone is like I'm a very firm believer. I've always thought this. Um coffee tastes best however you enjoy it. Exactly. Yeah, at that's now true. and then at now and then we're just presenting coffee in a different yeah. way it's yeah, just a different part of the spectrum right where like you know starbucks waffle house you know mick cafe whatever yeah. you want like that's at one end of the spectrum and then what we do is on a different end and like we're just taking what we do and presenting it in a different kind of way and like offering an alternative to the like what most people are having yeah i get that yes it's a spectrum however if your coffee is cheap you should think about the fact, like, why is it cheap? Someone along the line is getting fucked. That's it. That's all I have to say. Sure. Also valid. Well, realistic. I mean. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, like, I think that um, the only way towards change is doing things that are uncomfortable. And of course. I think that. Like, you know, again, fine dining is such a great analogy is that until you have a meal at a high end restaurant, you might not get it. And you might yeah. go to a high end restaurant and still not get it. Yeah. You know, like um, I have a dozen ways, a dozen ways, examples, pages of books that I've photographed that I think are like the succinct way to describe fine dining to someone that doesn't get it. Yeah. You know, having like dined the way that I have dined in life. And I think most of the time it still falls flat. Yeah. Well, they just don't like it's like, why are the portions so small? Like I they just might not get it. And yeah. that's fine. You mm-hmm. know, I I constantly say that 
I don't think now and then's for everybody. Now yeah. and then's And that's okay. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Like You're not gonna hurt my feelings if you don't like it or yeah. if you don't go or if it's not for you. Have you ever con- have you ever compared um fine dining to a concert to somebody? Well it, because uh, I have, yeah. I think it, like a great yeah. like a high level concert, something that you're gonna pay a couple hundred bucks to go go to. It's an experience. Yeah, it's an experience. Okay. The length is the same, you know, like that's the other thing too, is like if you go to a 10 course menu restaurant for 225 bucks it's like one you're gonna be there for two and a half hours yeah you know like those people talk about portion size and then you realize no you're gonna have 10 dishes that way and it's rich and like developed food like you're gonna be full as shit when you leave (laughs) still you know like you're also eating just like hopefully what is like the top like quality of that category right it's like when I go out to eat like an expensive steak, like I'm hoping that the money I'm spending on the steak translates to they're buying the highest yeah. quality steak that's actually available or like, and you know, the production value too. like uh, we're about to transition to this like one last thing and then we'll kind of like wrap up. But um, one time Amanda and I went to Audrey and on the desserts there were orange slices and they were supremed, you know, perfectly. And I, it was her that said like. That's what happens. That's what people don't understand here or about somewhere like that versus mm-hmm. somewhere else is that supreming out that orange in a way is perfect. Yeah. You yeah. know, and like that takes expertise and man hours to yeah. do, you know, no, repeatedly and that way. Like and the way that we're approaching coffee and making coffee is very high level. Yeah. Like those coffees, every beverage is executed to the best of our ability. Yeah, and with respect to the product. We oh, don't 100. serve something unless it's perfect. Yeah. Even if it takes us like cuz it's an organic matter coffee, right? So it's yeah, going to change. Right. Yep. Um even if it takes like 3 4 drinks or preparations to get it out to you, we will not serve it unless it's perfect. Yeah. And it's like I'm, you know, it's not in like I don't want to be wasteful. And so that's why you create systems to make sure that oh, yeah, you can execute systems. it repeatedly. Yep. You know, it is very, very rare that we have to ever like remake something. Sure. Like, um, and it's just the thought that like it's most people actually coming in don't realize that we're actually executing at a high level. They just yeah. see like, oh, espresso, oh, pour well, over. I mean, yeah, then they sure. taste yeah, it. They taste it and they're like, Oh wow, I've never had coffee taste this. I remember this one lady who um, she didn't know what she wanted. She was overwhelmed by the menu. That's okay. I'm happy to guide people. It's fun for me to guide you. And like, that's cool. We can do that. Um, And so I was trying to get a gauge for what she wanted flavor wise to, to choose something for her. And the only thing that she told me was, I don't know. I just don't want anything that's bitter. And I told her, okay, respectfully, nothing is bitter. That doesn't like that doesn't help me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we can pivot to this like thing that I was going to say is uh, I think we would be remiss to uh, have a podcast about now and then and not talk about um, you guys getting linked up with Sean Brock. Oh, oh yeah, sure. and sure. yeah, that's a whole thing. Yeah, so I mean, like, let's talk about how that happened and like what you know how that developed and how it has. Dude, it's been crazy. It's can it's I, faded. Can I start it and then you finish it? Yeah, for sure. So. Um, I've been following what Sean has been doing for a very long time, probably like seven, eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, like watching Mind of a Chef, watching, you know, obviously Chef's Table, looking at what he did with 
Husk and McCrady's and like, yeah, just like his dedication to execution and the desire to, you know, like, um, in chef's table, he talks about like looking around at fine dining and looking at the ingredients that people are using and uh, wondering why people haven't tried to just take the ingredients farther and let the tawar or like the varietal speak for itself and like wanting these things that don't exist anymore or like um like what asking the question of like why is this stuff like why do people not care about this like looking at things like corn and like <laughs> it's like looking at it deeper than just being corn like you know it's the thing that pushed him to like bring back Jimmy Redcorn, right. you know? And yeah. it's like, then once you have that thing, you're like, holy shit. Like, yeah. this is a way deeper hole than I thought. And that idea really stuck with me because um, I use that same mentality when it comes to coffee of like, you know, is espresso just espresso? Like, it, why is there standards to it? And trying to really question the norm and seeing if there's like a deeper hole that I can go down uh, that will make what I'm doing better. Yeah. And, you know, um, naturally like looking at what he's doing that honestly contributed a lot to why we moved to Nashville, like not even with like any aspirations of working with him, but no, just being, um, in a town with someone like him who desires to push things farther than other people take it, you yeah. know? Um, and, him being such an inspirational part of what we do. Like, um, it's kind of only natural that we work with him. It's sure. Yeah. It, it, it's crazy. Cause the opportunity kind of just fell in our laps. Literally. Um, so when I was touring, um, I was getting into photography and stuff. A lot of my fr friends were just buying, um, cheap film cameras at thrift stores. And, um, I, you know, naturally was like, oh, maybe I should try that. That looks fun. You know, it's a creative thing. And so I went and bought a cheap camera at a thrift store and hoped it worked. And <laughs> uh, I brought this film camera on tour and I was just taking pictures and I got super into it. And then I got home from tour and I had to get the pictures developed. And I went to Walgreens and uh, they didn't look great. But, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, as anything, like I just kept at it and uh I took my photos to a local place to get them developed and they started getting better and I loved it. It was so fun shooting film. And then I um, ended up buying a digital camera and it did film simulation, super fun. And um, I stuck with that for a long time, just shooting street photography or portraits and yeah. things. And, um, you know, as life does, it got busy and I kind of, you know, fell off the wagon of taking photos and, um, I really enjoyed having, I didn't realize like how integral it was, um, in other areas of my life, but having it a creative outlet to, um, do something else, you know, other than just writing music, yeah. like, you know, doing photography or painting or whatever, like having those creative outlets were really important. And, um, I had put down photography for a while and, um, recently in the last like year or so, had a lot of friends pass away and um, had the realization of like, damn, I don't have pictures with any of my friends. Yeah. And I, which is insane because I take photos all the time. Like I was Everybody taking photos. Does. But which is funny to think, not to like go deep down yeah. this like tangent, but like 
everybody laughs at like woo like selfie woo girls. Yeah. But Ugh, all true. those girls have tons of pictures of them and the people that are important to them. Yeah. Yeah, one hundred percent. And so like, you know, I had friends that I've known for years and years, people that I've toured with, like close friends like pass away and I don't have any fucking pictures of us together. Or if I and if I do, someone else took it and they're fucking terrible. Yeah. You know? And so um I got the bug and I, you know, um bought myself a really nice film camera and uh, I bought it when we moved here to Nashville and I really wanted to make the effort that, you know, going and being 30, like I'm 31 now, but like being in my thirties, like I want the rest of my life to be a documentation of my friends, the people who are close to me, the things that I do, the things that I get to do, you know, like there's nothing wrong with taking pictures of your food, you yeah. know, and there's nothing wrong with taking pictures of your friends and it doesn't make you less of a, a man or whatever, like uh-huh. to take a selfie with your friends. Like yeah. it's, it's as corny as some people see it. It's like, you know, that once those people pass or you like you pass, that's the only shit that people have, no, you know, I, besides memories, right. Is I like agree. photos. And then they're so important. And I think they're very like undervalued and, um, so, you know, making that dedication to buying a really nice film camera, it would force me to like, okay, I made this really large investment. I sh- need to fucking use this thing. Yeah. So, um, I've been carrying it around basically everywhere I go. And uh, we happened to, you know, obviously we just moved to Nashville and we went to the soft opening of Frankie's Pizza and Sean happened to be there and uh, he has a Leica like yeah. I do and saw it and then came up to us and started chatting. That sounds and, right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, he, Not you know, sure he had his camera with him and, you know, his kids were there and he was taking photos of them. And like, I love that shit. Um, and so, yeah, he came up to us, started chatting and funny enough, he actually started following me the day before. Very we were coincidentally. Frank- yeah. Just oh. randomly. Uh. And, um, you know, we had at that point only been in Nashville maybe two months and we had gone to Audrey a billion fucking times. Uh-huh. And because we couldn't stay oh, away. It was so good. So yeah. good. It was so good. And the people there were just like amazing. Like the staff he has, they're just so genuine and we loved everything about it. Yeah. And and yeah. um naturally, you know, um, like anyone who has a conversation does, it's like, Oh, what do you guys do? It's like, oh, we own a coffee business. And um like we're trying to open this brick and mortar here and um like uh the word kind of spread and i don't know if that's why he followed me was that he saw that like he knew about now and then or whatever uh-huh. but you know i mentioned that to him and he and like you know we really hit it off cuz we are both cut from the same cloth we're li- you're both insane <laughs> yeah, respectfully, like respectfully. just just like him i deep dive into everything yeah. that i do and you know I like again, like I admire him so deeply because of that. Because you know, you see someone who is the same kind of person you are, yeah. like you naturally gravitate toward each other. And so, um, you know, we kind of started talking about like our ideas about service and coffee and um, how to treat people. And like we realized that we're very similar. And um, you know, originally it was just going to be a pop up. Um, we started talking about like, you know, what does that look like? And, uh, well, you missed a bit. He, yeah, he offered after having chatted with us for a while and uh-huh. realizing like what we're about, he offered to let us do a pop-up at one of his restaurants. And, uh, yeah. So then we ended up, um, having a meeting and started talking about like, okay, like what if we do 16 seats and we do three turns and 
yada 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 like let's yeah. like um we started for about a month <laughs> we were you know and like oh shit like we gotta like execute and we again at the time we weren't really sure what now and then was going to look like well like, we had just moved to nashville and we knew that we wanted to open a brick and mortar when we moved here but i for one like i knew two people in town mm-hmm. and so there wasn't that like support group that we had in tampa and so it was yeah. very important to us that when we moved here we wanted to become a part of the community we wanted it to meet people we wanted to people know to to know who we were um and so we were thinking okay we'll just do pop-ups like we'll just do pop-ups and we'll start like spreading the word, spreading the good word of now and then uh-huh. around town. Uh, and so, yeah, we were just kind of like in a pop-up mindset. Yeah. So the idea was to take what we were doing in Tampa, but just expand upon it and uh-huh. like see in what ways we could elevate it even more and take yeah. it even farther. Cause that's kind of always been our MO of like, you know, <laughs> Demi is kind of the rope because she wrangles me in when I, Th- have a crazy idea and i think be- we go back and forth but yeah <laughs> well, basically. It'll, be like, it'll be like hey demi what if we do this thing and you're like no that's too far people don't <laughs> understand that's dumb i'll be like yeah babe that sounds great however that's also too far yeah let's, let's reel it back just like a little bit maybe <laughs> what if we just make people brew their own coffee <laughs> and they pay us like and the, they uh, pay us yeah that sounds like uh what's that uh that noma dish with the the egg where you have to like crack the egg yourself and put it in oh, the pan yeah, yeah. and stuff, and then like here now you put the herbs on top <laughs> and you <get> like that. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like you know crazy ideas. Yeah. It's like you know I it's not even like let's throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks, but like just seeing know. how far we can go. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, because again, it's like if you want to do something that is innovative and fresh and actually meaningful that feels like an actual contribution to the industry yeah you have to try to do something different and because we were talking about earlier coffee is such a young industry there is so much room to grow and do something different and um yeah so anyways this this is the the lane that we saw that wasn't like really forged yet is like taking this kind of fine dining approach and um yeah circling back to sean like uh we were talking about doing a pop-up and a it was about a month and <laughs> I started buying, yeah. <laughs> started buying glassware and stuff and planning drinks. And I was like yeah. jotting down ideas and talking about like, what coffees would we buy? Like we need to buy equipment again. Cause we sold a bunch of it when yeah. we moved. <laughs> yeah. And we um, sold like all of our equipment when we moved. <laughs> and so then, um, you know, I, I'm about like $600 deep in the hole on glassware and <laughs> serviceware. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Because the thing is, is that like, okay, we moved here and we were thinking we'll just do pop-ups. That's fine. But then Sean Brock comes to us and he says, Hey, let's do a pop-up. And so we're thinking, Oh fuck this. This is the pop-ups of yeah, pop-ups. Right. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, like this one is we're in the big leagues now. This is going to be the best pop-up we've ever done yeah. ever. <laughs> we're like really like putting our best foot forward. We have the stage, right? Like, yeah. you know, Sean's a, a huge chef and yeah. like, he is giving us a platform to execute on and we have to deliver. And so, you know, I'm just thinking of trying to do the craziest shit that I possibly can. And um, uh, we're about four or $500 in on glassware and service uh, yeah. pieces. And he calls me and he's like, hey, I have this idea. <laughs> he texts me. He's like, hey, I have this idea. Can I call you? And like... You know, we have, he's like, I have about five minutes. And, <laughs> and he's like, 
um, he's like, you know, I've been really thinking about it. And um, after getting to know you guys, uh, what do you think about being in here every single day? Um, like doing a full coffee bar inside of Bar Continental. And I said, Oh shit. (laughs) I remember vividly, like we were in our living room and we were just like, Oh fuck. Oh my God. Holy shit. Like we both work full-time jobs right now. What does this mean? Like what's going to happen? Oh my God, it's happening. It's happening. (laughs) Yeah. It was like code red, like, Oh shit. Like we weren't prepared. Like, um, he, I think he told us like, it's about a month and a half or so until they reopen. Yeah. And, um, they were going to close for 10 days and then reopen. And, uh, yeah essentially he was like, just sit on it for a couple of days and let me know what you think. And cause I initially didn't say yes. Yeah. Cause I wasn't, I didn't want to like, you know, just jump at it. I wanted to make sure that it was the right decision for us. It's always good. I, it's always good to do that. Unless someone says, you got to let me know right now. <laughs> like, yeah. No, so no, no, no. Sitting on something for a day or two is always the right answer. So the thing that has been constant with now, and then obviously is like, you know, we obviously want to push innovation and like, you know, not like, thing that we've always tried to push with now and then is just trying to like do something that's meaningful. And to be honest, like it didn't matter if it was Sean Brock who offered us an opportunity or whoever it did. I wanted to make sure that whatever we were going to do was made, was going to make sense and it was going to be uncompromising. And I had to, I actually had to sit on and think about it. I didn't want to just jump at it. And like, cause like yeah. I, I wanted to make sure it was a right fit, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, um, you know, consulting people like Joel, like, do you think this is a good idea? And every, like, obviously everyone said, it, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just make sure that like on a business end, that makes sense. And so, well, that's the thing, right? Because yeah. like, if there, if there is one thing that I think defies, defines like Sean's restaurants and his like work is meaningfulness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So like, if that is sort of like a driving force of what he does and that's the driving force of what you do, other than just accounting and yeah, business yeah. sense like that is sort of a no-brainer yeah and it, it felt like we had lightning in a bottle right just looking yeah. at like how now and then was received in tampa i could only imagine how it would be received here with a uh you know a city that has an actual f- like yeah. fine dining scene you know like you have some amazing restaurants here you have locust you have catbird seat Aud- audrey in june like yeah. dude like their list goes on and um you know obviously plenty of like amazing cocktail bars like Nashville is a foodie place yeah you know? is, like yeah. um David Chang recently had like a lot to say about like I tend having like grown up near New York and lived in Boston like being around like fucking real food cities yeah sometimes my I wear my skeptical hat a little yeah. too much about like food here but uh and not that like David Chang like converted me by yeah. saying this but he was like on a podcast not long ago, he's like, I don't know, that's probably going to be your spot before too long, you know, yeah. of like real, real shit. Yeah. And it's like, well, it's if any city was going to get what we do, it was going to be Nashville because yeah. of the the food and beverage scene here. Yeah. And so, um, obviously, like I said, I, we wanted to make sure it was the right fit, sat on it for a little bit and um, talked to Sean a bunch and like... You know, we worked out all the details and it was honestly a perfect fit. Mm. Um, Like there is no better person we could have worked with. And like um, him wanting to push 
obviously with food and doing things that are different, he really nurtured the ideas that we had. Like a lot of people, like an insane amount of people told me that the idea that we had for a sit down coffee bar would never work because no one would get it. Um, so many people told us this. It would like, it basically told us that we were doomed to fail. And which is often when you know that you're doing the right thing. Yeah. It's hard to know. Like it's hard to know that in, in the moment, but like you look, there are countless examples of that where it's like, no, you're out of your mind. Yeah. That's how you know you're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, just like looking at like what everyone is doing in the United States when it comes to specialty coffee, to my knowledge, there's not really any sit down only coffee bars that don't offer to go don't allow laptops or iPads yeah. or anything like that. And only like majority of their menu is black coffee. Yeah. Like Damn, we, we are insane. Sorry. Honestly, like sometimes, <laughs> yeah, like, sometimes when I talk way. about now and then out loud, it's like, holy shit, we are fucking batshit insane. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, like we only have 12 seats. If all 12 seats are filled up, you get put on a wait list and yeah. you might have to wait an hour and a half to get in. Yeah. Right. Like that's fucking crazy. Yeah. I like if, you know, if someone told me that idea, I would probably be like, yeah, I don't think that'll work. <laughs> I but mean, have fun. Yeah. And so, you know, I presented that idea to Sean and he was like, let's do it. Yeah. And I'm like, OK, <laughs> like, you know, like there was not really much to lose. Right. Like I obviously didn't want to fuck up now and then's reputation, but we didn't sure. have one here. So it was like, you know, there was no preconceived notions that, you know, of what we did previously. There was only like this brand new thing. And I think that the only reason it worked, obviously like us as individuals having a lot of experience and knowing what we wanted to do and being really driven is a huge part of it. But also I think because people have such a deep trust for Sean and what he does that he's not going to do something that's shitty or half-assed because he was partnered with it that we have, because of having that sign off, you know, people were willing to come and try it. Mm -hmm. And, um, like again, we couldn't have asked for a better person to do it with, and I think the combo of us being the people that we are, and you know Sean being the person that he is, like it just it works, and yeah. it can has been continuing to grow and do better every month and week, and every day the reception has been insane. You know, yeah. like I couldn't have asked for a better trajectory that we're on you yeah know, like yeah i tell davy it's kind of insane we moved to nashville and we live such different lives now i it almost feels like we just stepped into another dimension yeah. entirely yeah. with how much has changed in such a short amount of time yeah i think a good finishing note is what the future looks like yeah if you want to talk about that then let's talk about it I the mean, future is so bright um i'll start it and actually let you finish sorry I was on one. Um, well, no, hold on. Let me, Demi, like, how do you see, like, the relationship with Sean, like, working out so far? And, like, what has that brought to you, like, in your thoughts about now and then? Because, I mean, you guys are, you guys are one fucking mind. Like, yeah. Like, we I share a like, brain I know cell that just like, bounces like between us. Yeah. Yeah, it is yeah, pretty you, crazy. Like, huh? you and Davey are, like, one fucking mind. But, we like, spend a lot of time together. I mean. I think that's, I think that's actually it. Yeah. Uh, well, it's I like, agree. you know, just thinking about our relationship, like, we both love experiences and yeah. like we love sharing experiences with each other, you know, like 
there is no one that I would want to go to like a fine dining restaurant for the first time with other yeah. than you, you know, like when I go to Noma, why I want to be around the people that I love the most and like sharing things, yeah. you know, and that's like the same idea with service. Like we love just sharing experiences with people and like yeah. creating an experience for yeah. people, you know? It's, yeah. Anyways, to circle back with, uh, oh, yeah. what did you ask me exactly? I about? asked you like how you feel about being hooked up with Sean and like how that has like changed or elevated what you think about now and then. I think that Davey did a good job covering it. What like business wise? Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna speak more like on a personal level, maybe. Great. Um, it's weird because it's almost like Davey and I are two parts of Sean separated, and then uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's if you were to just like smash Davey now together and create one person, it's Sean Brock. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Yeah, I don't know. Like, you're a lot like him, just like your personality, your interest. Um, and then it's more so just our stories that are, I don't know, both very in line with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really want to get into it on this podcast. Sure. But yeah, no. There's the way that Sean treats himself and the way that he treats other human beings aligns a lot with my story. Um, and a huge part of my frustration working in coffee was not being treated well um and obviously sean has a lot of infrastructure in place to treat his employees very 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 well and to take care of his people and a lot of experience i mean like this not that this is public knowledge you know but like a lot of experience of not treating employees well yeah and like yeah. coming around to that i mean like every chef yeah you know? like, yeah, yeah, like exactly. every chef it's yeah. okay realizing yeah. that there's a problem and like realizing like oh this is not a sustainable way to Whole, like keep employees but also just like like be a person you know like yeah for sure no one wants to fucking work with you if you're a fucking dick yeah. you know <laughs> it's um, not super relevant right now because obviously now and then it's just Davey and I for now but yeah. when we did pop-ups we did have unemployed shout out Colby uh-huh. um and shout out Jordan shout out Jordan too. Judy yeah I love Judy Jude uh, coffee shout Lakeland, out Florida. okay anyways you're confusing people stop <laughs> we had one like actual employee and then his name is Colby uh, and then we had our friend Jordan, who also owns a coffee pop-up park cart thing, uh, and he would fill in sometimes for us, or not for us, but for Colby. Uh, but I I joke sometimes that part of my drive with now and then is just pure spite because <laughs> sure. I and it, it, I think that there's a little bit of truth in that, honestly. No, that's a great. I mean, I'm sure someone would say that's a toxic engine, but like many great things are built out of like are built out of saying like like proving someone wrong is like the best revenge right that's like yeah. the, that's like yeah, the yeah, line yeah. about that no and like again it's not very relevant now because we don't have any employees but yeah. treating people well so when we do have that staff is going to be a huge part of now and then yeah because i want coffee to be something that people view as a career and so we want to create that for people Again, that I guess this is a good segue into what our future looks like. A career yeah. outside of just being a cafe owner or like, you know, a roaster, like, you know, a career as being a coffee professional, working on bar and creating drinks, like a bartender, right? Like yeah. being a, a there's career bartenders, people who really take mixology seriously. Just like being a cook, you know, yeah. you like a cook doesn't have to necessarily mean you own a restaurant. That's not the doesn't yeah. have to be like the end goal, like yeah. Or like servers. Servers are a great thing. Like to yeah. think of like waiters in a place like, 
you know, the French Laundry, and it's like, people do that for decades. Or yeah. 11 Madison Park. Yeah, any of that stuff. Like, it's just like, man, ugh. Yeah, it's like, why? And I say ugh in, like, a beautiful way. Yeah, yeah like, yeah. why can't, like, being a barista or, like, you know, just a coffee professional be a long-term career that, like, is meaningful, you know? Like, yeah. it can be. I just think it needs to be framed in the right context. And it's push like, with now and then again, it's just trying to push on a different end of the spectrum that is goes pretty untouched in the United States. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of the places that we pull influence from are in, like, places like Japan, right? Like, yeah. places like Cafe Memeye, like... They are a sit-down coffee bar that has an, a whole experience wrapped into what they do. Yeah. Places like uh, Cocoon, you know, it's oh my god, like yeah. I think two barista champions, and they have this like crazy setup, yeah. and it's just four seats, and it's like like experiences awesome. like yeah, that is like what influence us to do what we do. Yeah, um, and I think it's the thing that is next in coffee, like. You know, if you want to call it fourth wave, it's like because coffee's better than it ever has been. And it's yeah. like the thing that's going to push the industry forward is um, information, education and service. Mm-hmm. Like it's elevating people's experience with coffee. That's going to make them really value coffee. And that's what's going to give our industry the the push forward, I think, you know, yeah. like um, because ultimately the specialty coffee industry is very small. It's still new, but because of things like global warming, it's being uh, becoming harder and harder to produce these like high level coffees. And so the more people become aware of specialty coffee, the more people value specialty coffee, ultimately the more money that goes into specialty coffee and into the hands of producers yep. that and then help hopefully us. Also like people will take what they learn it now and then and apply it to other aspects of their life. Yeah. Hopefully. Well, yeah, they, you're like, you know, by, giving them something that they might not have previously thought of being valuable. It's like, damn, if I thought of coffee as being like a commodity or like this, something that is quote unquote cheap, like what other things in my life am I not giving the the right attention to that I could invest in that ultimately are going to give me like, you know, better experiences, but also just like, you know, add to the quality of my life, you know, yeah. that I implement every day, you know, yeah, like absolutely. if you're just, you know, like fast, fa- fast fashion is a good example where yeah. it's like, if I'm just buying like clothes at H&M my whole life uh-huh. and they're just like, you know, utilizing, you know, not saying H&M is, I don't know, I don't, but it is using sure. slave labor, sure, things yeah. like that. It's like, you know, put your fucking money where your mouth is like, yeah. Think about how you're spending your money because, like, you know, maybe you spend like three or four hundred bucks on a pair of like, you know, nice raw denim, and yeah. but you know that it because it's quality, it's gonna last you for a very long time, and it's repairable. You know, it's like, it's just those kind of parallels you can find in everything that is consumable. Yeah, sure. Um, I was just having a conversation uh with a wine friend about that kind of thing, and they were yeah. talking about like global warming and how that is you know, affecting wine producers in, yeah. in like much of the old world and new world, like wine scenario and things like that. And then, but also in terms of like fast stuff, think about like the chocolate industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like chocolate is based on child slave labor yeah. in yeah. a lot of ways. And that's a thing that like, I won't say much because I, I don't know that much about chocolate, sure, but I do have um, a friend who just moved here a few weeks ago and she makes chocolate. And so she's in that world. Yeah. She worked in coffee also. 
She's, I think she started in coffee and then moved to chocolate. She started in beer, went to coffee, and then does stuff with chocolate now. And she told me that chocolate is like a decade behind specialty coffee. Mm. So if we're here where we are now. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine yeah, yeah. chocolate. Dig that. Well. All right. Well, any final thoughts? No, the only final thought I have is that I just like you guys know that I love you guys and I think and I appreciate everything that you're doing. And I think you're our favorite regular. Yeah, that's true. I try and cheerlead whenever I can. Anyone that like works in a shop or enjoys coffee. And I'm like, have you I was like, have you been now and then like or you like have to go and check it out and stuff. So thanks, um, dude. Appreciate that. that. My absolute pleasure. You're the thing that keeps the doors open. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. But actually, like now and uh, then it's sponsored by Matt. Yeah, well. Anyway, all right. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having us. And there you have it. That is my discussion with Davey and Demi of Now and Then. Please go visit them at uh, Bar Continental whenever you get the chance, if you are in Nashville. Have a look at their Instagram page, which is nowandthen.nashville, to see their up-to-date hours and days of operations to figure out when you can go in there and uh, get to know them a bit and try some exceptional coffees. Thank you so much for being here for episode two of Matt O'Donnell Wants to Know. So many of you already have, but uh, you can subscribe, rate, review, all those kinds of things for the show, wherever you find your podcasts. I know that is something that you hear podcasters talk about all the time, but I promise you that it really does help the growth of a show. So if you really like it, do those things. Um, Also, just tell your friends. There's nothing that is greater than telling a friend. If you're looking for the show on Instagram, it is at Matt O'Donnell Wants to Know. You can also find me at Matt O'Donnell. Uh, If you want to drop a line to the show, I have an email for the show. That is Matt O'Donnell Wants to Know at gmail.com. We're definitely only just getting started here. So many exciting guests coming up, things that I've already gotten recorded, things that will be recorded very soon. Uh, So much to tell you about coming up. Until then, take care of yourselves, and remember, the best answer to a question is usually another question. See ya!